Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Amen. Hallelujah, right? Woo! That was great. Well, happy Easter. My name is Mesh. I'm one of the pastors here. We are glad that you are here this Sunday uh, to celebrate and to reflect and to take time to give thanks because Easter Sunday is what it's about. And so this morning, I'd like to take a journey with you and take a step back a little bit to look at what Jesus went through uh, before he entered the cross, and we're going to lean into Easter Sunday as well. So if you have your Bibles through this morning, uh, I'll be on page 998 in the pew Bibles in front of you. If you have a device, you can just go to that. It'll be in Matthew 27 verses 11 to 26. So basically what's happening here in the scripture, and we'll read it in a minute, Jesus is before Pilate. And he's basically, the Lord is going through a, a court hearing. Uh, and he's being accused of things. And there's a conversation taking place. The crowd is getting worked up. And there's a lot happening in this, in this scripture here. So we're going to dive in together and go from there. So again, Matthew 27, I'm going to start at verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And when he had accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who was called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I then do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. And when Pilate saw this, he was getting nowhere, but that instead of an up where we're starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. There's a great question in there that Pilate asked, what shall he do with Jesus? And that's a question I want you to consider this morning as well. What are you doing with Jesus and what will you do with Jesus as well? And this morning as we look at scripture, there's a lot going on here, isn't there? Jesus has been accused at a court case is probably one of the greatest crimes in history. And yet what's interesting is he didn't do a lot wrong. There's a lot going on here, but he was an innocent man in front of this crowd. And we're going to look at three characters this morning. And those characters are Barabbas, Pilate, and Jesus. So let's talk about Barabbas. Who is this person? Now, Barabbas never speaks a word. 
Uh, he never speaks a word in the Bible at all. Yet all four Gospels mention him by name. His story occupies at least 38 verses in the New Testament. We don't, don't know anything about his family. We don't know how old he is. We don't know if he was married. All we know is this, that Barabbas was guilty. That's what we know for sure. And Jesus was innocent. Scripture says lots of things of Barabbas. Matthew called him a notorious prisoner. Mark says that Barabbas was a pris in prison and he, started the, he was part of the insurrection movement, which basically meant that he had committed murder. John adds that this man, Barabbas, had taken, a, taken part in the uprising. And when Peter is preaching in the temple courts of the books of Acts, Peter refers to Barabbas as a murderer. And so this is where this gentleman, Barabbas, belonged, in prison. He committed a lot of crimes. There is no greater place that he should be in except for prison. So why would anybody want to set this criminal free? So let's look at Jesus. Who is Jesus? Now the question of Jesus' identity is not easily answered. It's clear that Pilate is struggling to understand this man before him. But Pilate didn't know this much about Jesus. He knew that Jesus was a Jew, that he's a rabbi. He didn't have a lot of wealth. Jesus did miracles. He spoke in parables. He had a large following. And yet he also had enemies in very, very high places. So Jesus is standing there before him, having been beaten, and certainly didn't seem like a threat to anyone in that moment. Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. Pilate, a matter of fact, says three times, I find him not guilty. Jesus wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a crook. He wasn't a thief. And as far as Pilate was concerned, Jesus did nothing that deserved death. So under the pressure from the Jews and all the other religious leaders, Pilate had to make a fast decision. Now looking at Jesus in shock and pity, Pilate says to him, don't you realize... John 19, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Now, Pilate wasn't boasting. He was simply saying he has the power to do exactly what he wanted to in that moment. He could release Jesus. Because as a Roman governor, Pilate alone could condemn a man to death. Now, it's true that many of the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus dead. It's also true they all understood they could not do anything without Pilate's permission. So this is going on, and Pilate is feeling hounded by the Jewish leaders. There's people that are saying half-truths about Jesus, and Pilate decides in this whole situation that he has no way out, and as a politician, he decides to wash his hands clean of the whole ugly affair of what's going on. So this is what he does. He offers the mob a choice. Let me give you guys a choice between Jesus or Barabbas. Knowing full well that Barabbas is a criminal, Barabbas... Barabbas was that, and maybe Pilate thought, well, if I offer off a, a criminal versus this innocent man, chances are they're going to choose the innocent one. So the gospel writers are very careful about this, that Pilate, again, tried several times to release Jesus, because it was tradition at Passover that they would release a prisoner from jail. And Passover basically means that's when the Jews were released from bondage in the Old Testament into, G into Egypt. So Pilate offered them Jesus or Barabbas, thinking surely they would choose this person, Jesus, who didn't do anything wrong, over a prisoner. That's what he figured would happen. Pilate underestimated the hatred and the anger of the crowd. As a matter of fact, the religious leaders had Jesus exactly where they wanted him, and they were not going to do 
anything about this except making sure that Jesus was crucified. They had him exactly where he wanted, and that's what they wanted to do. They had evidence, but it was mostly lies and half-truths. The statements were twisted out of context. Didn't matter. It didn't matter. They wanted blood. Jesus must die. So what happens is there's a trial that goes on all night. They, they shuffle Jesus from one venue to another. They have him handcuffed and tied down so he can't escape. Herod got a chance to speak in the situation, so did some other religious leaders. Pilate talked to Jesus twice, and Jesus said nothing through the whole ordeal. He said absolutely nothing. And Isaiah 53 says this, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So again, Jesus mostly kept silent throughout the night. He had an extended conversation, but it didn't matter. This crowd was so enraged, and they wanted to see a crucifixion. They wanted to release a murderer versus releasing an innocent man. The Bible says this in Mark 15, 11. The chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them choose Barabbas. So there's people in the crowd that are encouraging the crowd to be even more rowdy against Jesus. And that, to me, is shocking when you think about that. So this crowd is buying into this mob mentality to go after Jesus, and that's exactly what's going on here. Now, seeing the mode of the crowd and what's going on, and again, Pilate, his feeble attempt to bring justice, and he says this, what shall I then do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And now it's too late. The crowd again begins to shout, crucify him, crucify him. Now, between a murderer and an innocent man, the crowd wants the innocent man. Now, it's mind-boggling to me. This crowd is so much in a frenzy. This is what Scripture says in Matthew 27. These are the consequences they are willing to take on to see Jesus die. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. That's a deep commitment of hate, isn't it? That they're willing to take on this situation and their blood, Jesus' blood, will be on us and their children. That to me is, it just makes me understand the anger and the frustration that was going on there. And there you're making these commitments that I don't think they even understood what they were saying. The crowd wanted, Jesus said, and they didn't care about the consequences for their children. I find that really interesting. Now Jesus suffered, he was beaten, he went to the cross. And for Barabbas, it meant that he, the guilty, would go free while Jesus, the innocent, would die in his place. So what should all of this mean to us? See, we are very much like Pilate and Barabbas, but in different ways. And those ways both involve who Jesus is to us. We are like Pilate, and this is how we talk about with Pilate. We may feel glad that we weren't in that situation to make a decision that Pilate had to make in that day in Jerusalem, and the question is asked, what shall I then do with Jesus? That's a question Pilate was asking. The choice was very difficult for Pilate, wasn't it? And yet, he believed Jesus to be innocent, but he caved under the pressure to set this criminal free. Now, what will be the end for us who know the truth about Jesus and still prefer Barabbas? See, no one can escape that question, can we? So as long as Christ is popular and we're going well with him and we're following him, it's all good. But when things get rough, when things get challenging, at that moment of hard decision, we're going to have to make a choice. We must make our own choice. Will it be Jesus or Barabbas? 
Now, we're also like Barabbas as well. Have you ever wondered in this scripture what Barabbas was thinking in this moment? See, he was in a Roman prison. He certainly knew that one day he was going to die for all the crimes he had committed. There wasn't this straightforward process with the judicial system. If you were a prisoner, you didn't have any rights. If you murdered, you were done. There was death awaiting you. So each passing day, here's Barabbas in prison. Each day is going by. Closer to death is coming. He doesn't know when it's going to happen, but it's probably going to happen soon. He was going to get flogged. He was going to get mocked. And he's going to get killed. And then the day comes. He's sitting in a cell. And he's hearing these loud, loud sounds. Crucify him. Crucify him. Perhaps he was thinking at that point, they're coming for me. This is it. This is where my death will come. So the guards are going towards the prison. And they open up the doors to his cell and drag him outside. And the most astonishing thing happens. Everyone is celebrating his new freedom. His chains are released. And he is set free. This murderer is now set free. Now put yourselves in that position for a minute. You're walking to your death in chains, and all of a sudden, when you least expect it, you're a free person. Then you hear the words begin again. Crucify him. Crucify him. And you see another one walking by. And there's no chains on you. There's change on this other person. And the guards are dragging another man to his death. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. He's beaten and he's flogged and he's forced to carry his own cross to his death. It's the very cross that had him, he had imagined himself carrying on his own moments earlier. And you think of yourself that way as well and going, here's an innocent man going to the cross. Jesus took his death and Barabbas was given the freedom Jesus deserved. Jesus bore the guilt and the shame, the curse and the disgrace and the death that Barabbas deserved. Barabbas received the release, the freedom and the life that Jesus deserved. See, all of us, myself included, we're like Barabbas. All of us are like that. See, justly imprisoned, rightly condemned, freed from punishment by a substitute who died in our place. Our sins have cut us off from God. Most of us think of ourselves as pretty good people, don't we? Well, we're not worse than that person down the street or our neighbor. But our hands are still not clean. We have cheated, we have lied, we have gossiped, we have falsely accused. We have made excuses, we have cut corners. We have lost our temper, we have mistreated others. And when we finally get a glimpse of that cross of Christ, to see how great our sin really is. Now, in the light of Calvary, all of our supposed goodness is nothing but filthy rags. Jesus, the innocent, takes the place of Barabbas the guilty. But he did not go unwillingly. And as you think about what Jesus did for us, and he went to the cross for our sin and all the things we've done, it's amazing to think that a murderer is released and an innocent man, Jesus, who's more than a man, went to the cross for us, and he went willingly. And as we come here to Easter Sunday, and we reflect as he went to the cross, as he died for our sins, and he's buried in the tomb, but then, three days later, this happened. Mark 16, as they enter the tomb, 
they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. First Peter 1, praise be to the God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In him, great mercy has been given us, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John 6, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. 1 Corinthians, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. On the third day, just as the scripture said, 1 Peter, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his grace mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Acts 4, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the great grace was upon them all. Romans 1, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by the means of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Romans 4, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Luke 5, Jesus answered, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Romans 8, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, because of what Jesus Christ has done. He looked death straight in the eye and said, not gonna happen. So we're left with the question, what shall I then do with Jesus? So you can stand back and, and don't care about him. You can push him away and say, leave me alone. Because it's Easter Sunday here today, and we do not want to assume that every person that came here this morning has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the most important decision you will ever make. You can open up your heart to him and say, Lord Jesus, I welcome you into my life. That is the best thing you can do. Trust in him, run to the cross, run to the empty tomb, and lay hold of Jesus who loves you, and who died for you. See, you and I are sinners. We sit in spiritual prison, boundless, helpless, awaiting the day when we receive the just punishment we deserve. We sit on death row. Death row is waiting for all of us to be dragged out to death, not knowing when God's righteous judgment will come. But the good news is this. When you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, he goes to the cross in your place. That's the greatest news you will ever hear because now you've got Jesus in your life. You have life eternal. You have hope. You have peace in Jesus. 
Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? That's what Pilate asked. What will you do? See, it doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. None of those things matter. What matters is do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Because that is the most important question this side of eternity and here on earth. And you have to ask yourself that question just like Pilate asked this question. So Jesus has provided the chance for us. He's given us abundant life, filled with true peace. Doesn't mean life is going to be perfect when you follow Jesus Christ. But you have hope and a peace that if you're not a Christ follower, you're not going to have it. Many of you can say amen to that because you've experienced trials and struggles in this life. I have as well. And it's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that we get through. And not just get through, we, we don't just survive, we thrive because of Jesus Christ. To find salvation, to enjoy cleansing from sin through his blood. See, Jesus has proclaimed the conditions as well. We must believe in him. John 8 says that. We must repent of our sins. Sin's an ugly word, isn't it? But it's what separates us from relationship with Christ. We must confess our faith before men. We must remain faithful even to death. That we will follow Jesus wholeheartedly till the end of days, till, till we get to glory, no matter what's put in front of us. No matter what people say, we will follow him. Jesus is also predetermined the alternatives. See, if we reject him, we die in our sins and face a terrible consequence. When we reject Christ, the alternative is being in a presence without him there. That place is called hell. That's the alternative is in front of us. Those consequences are huge. I would much rather be in a place where the glory of God exists forever to worship Jesus Christ forever than be in a place that has no bearing and no presence of God whatsoever. Believe in him and we receive everlasting life. Man, that sounds good. It's not just a pipe dream. It's truth. And we can receive that as well. And we continue to read here. Having considered what Jesus has offered us, we return to our original question. See, what some have tried to do, as you look at that question, what you do with Jesus, as some have tried to do, as Pilate did, he tried to pass on the choice to others. That's what he did. Now, we're guilty of probably doing the same thing today. Try and let others decide for us what we will do and believe about Jesus. Maybe we don't want to do it because of what our friends and family might think. We're allowing other people to make a decision for us for our eternity. But we can't do that. What we should do is this simply to understand that we accept his gracious gift. It's an offer of salvation by obeying him. Become his disciple essentially means following Jesus. You're all in. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means you're all in to follow Christ. Committed to his commands. Committed to the word of God. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Understanding who he is through the scriptures. Through prayer, through worship, through church, through community. Walk with him, well established in the faith. It's an ongoing journey as we stumble towards heaven together but we're willing to commit and be all in. We're not just going through the motions. 
And if you haven't accepted Christ, you can receive all these things as well. We develop the mind of Christ, the attitude of sacrifice and service. That's what we're called to do as Christ followers. So, what then shall I do with Jesus? See, Jesus has given us every reason to accept and obey him as our Savior and Lord. And if you have not yet done so, will you not do that today? Respond to his grace's invitation to receive eternal life. This is why we do church. This is why we gather. And if you've come here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and it's just been an idea to you and the Holy Spirit is moving in your spirit this morning, there'll be people available after to pray. We encourage you to come forward and to share that with somebody. Don't leave this place without telling somebody what you've done. And if you're a Christ follower here today, are you all in? What are you doing with Jesus? What am I doing with Jesus? Because it's an important question we've got to ask ourselves. When we come to church on Resurrection Sunday and live in the hope of an empty tomb and an empty cross, we have to ask ourselves a question too. What are we doing with Jesus every day in our lives to honor him, to worship him, to glorify him, not in perfection, but with commitment and being all in. So what will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the empty tomb, the empty cross. Thank you, Father, for raising your son. And I pray, Lord, for those who have come today that don't fully understand what it means to follow you, I pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts and they would be ready to commit to being all in to follow you and to give their lives to you. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just watch over and soften hearts and direct us and lead us. Thank you that there's hope, everlasting hope in Jesus, not just here on earth, but Lord, when we step into eternity, we get to be with you forever. And I pray, Jesus, that we would be open to what you're doing in our spirit today. And Lord, if we have decided that we're only going through the motions as a Christ follower and we're not all in, remind us, Lord, what we're supposed to do with you. We're supposed to honor you and glorify you and worship you and tell others about you. I pray, Lord, that you give us that, that conviction, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit to not sit comfortably in our faith, but to rise up to be all in. And we can't do any of this with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not by our own strength, Lord. So continue to guide us and lead us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, it's a good day to be in church together. It's a good day to celebrate and sing and rejoice. It's a great message from our lead pastor, Pastor Mesh. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Adam screws up and sins. We all follow Adam's example. Mankind causes the problem. 
and God decides that a man will be the solution. And of course, Jesus is much more than a man, but God comes to us as man to solve the problem that we started and Christ the first fruits from among the dead, that as he rose, he's just the first one. And as we follow after him, we will follow him in all things, including the rising that comes, that as his tomb is empty, one day our tomb will be empty as well. And that as we follow him in life, as we honor him as Lord, as we follow his teaching and his example, we will follow him all the way straight through to eternity. And that is the hope that we have and what we celebrate today. As we get ready to close, uh, there are prayer people after the service who will be up here at the front and they'll be happy to pray with you about anything, whether it's from the message today or anything else in your life, you can come on forward and they'd be happy to pray. They are confidential. They are trained by us. We trust them. So we encourage you to partake of that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything that we celebrate today, Lord, that we are not lost in our sin. We are not abandoned to the grave, that you have come and led the way, that you have come and risen above, and you have come and risen again. And we put all of our hope and all of our trust in you and what you have promised us. Help us, Lord, to follow you as you would have us follow you so that we can follow you, not just in your teaching, not just in your example, but that we will follow you all the way to eternity. That as your tomb is empty, one day our grave will be empty as well as we rise again with you in the fullness of what you have done for us. Not anything of our own efforts, but everything as a demonstration of your power and as a demonstration of your grace. And we will respond, Lord, with our obedience. We will respond with our thanksgiving. We will respond with our worship as we honor you and lift you up and glorify you as Lord of our lives. You have our hearts today. You have our devotion today. You have our allegiance and our obedience today, Jesus, and you have our love today. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Have a wonderful day with friends and family.